Welcome to Freedom to Choose from Just As I Am Ministries, a nonprofit giving hope to those caught in the devastation of addiction or just overrun by a complicated life. In this series called Could It Be This Simple? The Way Out of Your Prison, you'll learn how the mind works, what motivates our choices, and find biblically-based keys to help your decision-making processes. Rich and Susan Kallenberg are a husband and wife team who found freedom over two decades ago from out-of-control lives of drug addiction and alcoholism. Now here's Rich and Susan on Freedom to Choose. Hello everyone, my name is Rich Kallenberg. And my name is Susan Kallenberg. Welcome once again to Freedom to Choose and our series, Could It Be This Simple? The Way Out of Your Prison. And uh, today, uh, what are we going to talk about? Well, today is program number 13. If you're keeping score at home, it's number 13 of this series. Right, and um, in the workbook that you can call and get a copy of or um, send us a message on our website, which is justasiamministries.com, to request a a workbook. We'll be more than happy to send it out to you. It is Lesson 10, and um, we're discussing it's a big thing. It's it's about forgiveness. It's about forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Um, And... You want to give the number out one more time? Oh, the number is 916-645-1297. Yeah, I know they give it out in the beginning of the program, but it's always good to, because there's a lot going on and people run to grab pens or whatever. And then there's a, like a really long message that you have to listen to me. I think I need to change that out and to shorten it because it's just really long and... Oh, if you call to I leave us the, a message. I, I think the telemarketers hang up, but it, you know, it's, it, you gotta. If you call to leave us a message and the message is too long and it's bothersome, then tell Susan on the machine <laughs> that she shorten needs to up. shorten it up a little bit. Right. Uh, we've gotten a lot of calls. We've sent out a lot of books. Right. Uh, we're thankful for this listening audience. Well, uh, and it's nice because I've had a lot of interaction with people who have called, and um, it's just a blessing to know that. Um, as a community, as God's community, that we can interact with people as we may be going through struggles or someone that we know is going through a struggle and um, we can bond together. It's nice to know that people are wanting to get well out there. They, they have a sincere desire to get well. And uh, that's really important, you know, yes. that people want to get well. We all, uh, it's a, it's a, about restoration. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, do you want to uh, open the word with uh, the the word? Open the program with a word of pr- prayer, please. Sure, Heavenly Father, we thank you for another opportunity to um, talk about your principles and how you have designed um, this universe and our lives to work. We pray that you will send your Spirit to guide our words and our thoughts, and as well to uh, be with all the people who are listening um, to the program today. And we thank you for um, that blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, now, before we get to the story, uh, one of the stories out of the book that we're going to read, um, when I think about forgiveness, something comes to mind. It's one word. That word is resentment. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. uh, for me, because for me, I can. Well, what resentment? Number one, it means it means to feel again, mm-hmm. refeel. In mm-hmm. other words, and in order to feel again, let's say you think of something in the past you have a resentment for you bring it back up, Mm -hmm. you rejudge it, Mm -hmm. and then you feel it again. You feel it all over again. Mm -hmm. And these are what 
especially in an addict's mind, these are what rattle around in the brain over and over. We rejudge and refeel and rejudge and refeel, and it does more damage and more damage. And I know for me, if I want to justify my behavior, I hold on to a resentment. Mm-hmm. And if I hold on to a resentment, then, then I rejudge it as somebody else's fault mm-hmm. and not my fault. I'm transferring that fault. I can live inside my own skin, not dealing, just holding on to the resentment mm-hmm. and not, not dealing with what I've done to set a train of circumstances in motion, possibly, mm-hmm. and which is probably the whole reason why I'm holding the resentment, is I'm probably the one at fault. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I know through my addicted life that was what the story was. If I was angry at a boss, I got to look at my behavior. What did I, you know? What what did I do to set the train of circumstances? Well, and maybe <clears throat> not even how. What did you do to set the train of circumstances and motions? But how did you participate after that train of circumstances well, then was you use in it. motion? Right, you use it for your advantage. Right, and so I think that um, that uh, resentment is something that everybody struggles with. And it's, you know, we go back to that state of being in fear that we're Mm going to be hurt. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we hold resentments in order to... Protect. Right, exactly. It's a defense mechanism. Right, to protect our own um, egos or whatever it is that we do. But the reality is, is that it's like that old saying, you know, you're drinking the poison hoping the other person dies. Yeah, yeah. And so... um, resentments really don't affect anybody else except for the person that's holding them. It's exactly right. Whether or not they're quote-unquote validated because you were harmed, maybe you were a child and something happened to you and it was totally out of your control, it's still, when you, when you hold the resentment towards that, that person who harmed you is now still controlling your mind and your thoughts. Right. So resentments are, the, it's just a... Um, and for anybody, it's yeah. an inappropriate way to be healthy and whole. Yeah, yeah. It, they block you from God. Right. If we if we can't let go of our resentments, then there we can't have restoration because the mind is stayed on those old things mm-hmm. instead of being renewed. And mm-hmm. and it's it's difficult, especially for people who have been harmed in the past, and in mm-hmm. in many ways. And um, Sometimes that's what holds us from growing and moving on in life and letting things go. And um, it can make us physically ill, you know, the yeah. stress and the anger and, uh, you know, what we think upon. Mm-hmm. And how, if we let things control our lives, it can really um, affect us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Yeah, I know for me, sometimes uh, in order for me to pray for someone else who I feel has harmed me, uh, I have to get that frame of mind that pray for them, Rich. They're almost as sick as you are. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? Uh, we're all sick. We're all dying of a terminal illness, and that is that illness is an infection of fear. Right. And it causes us to act out in selfishness, selfish behavior, and try to protect ourselves at others' expense. And then we hold resentments, and that feeds our ego. We're rejudging and rejudging, mm-hmm. making ourselves look better and someone else look worse. Mm-hmm. And that's poison. Mm-hmm. That is, that's poison. Uh, let's get into the let, let's read uh, the story here that we're going to one of the stories that we're going to talk about. OK, and so this story is in that workbook that uh, we're giving out. If you'd like a copy of it, get a hold of us. Uh, could it be the simple the way out of your prison? And it's in uh, um, in uh, lesson 10. And it says it's a story about Kate. And she said, why? Why does this keep happening to me? 
Kate mumbled between sobs as she told the painful story of her husband's most recent betrayal. In her her early 40s, she was the daughter of a Baptist minister raised in a conservative southern home, and she married her high school sweetheart shortly after graduation, and they quickly had two beautiful children. Unfortunately, soon after the birth of their second child, Kate discovered that her husband was having an affair. She painfully asked him to leave the home, but he quickly ran to the pastor to confess his mistake and in tears explained that he had asked Jesus to forgive him, but that his wife had thrown him out. Accepting the husband's claim as sincere, the pastor visited Kate and reminded her that the Lord Jesus had also forgiven her. Then he asked her to forgive her husband and permit him to return to his family. She did as the pastor requested. As time passed, however, her husband continued to stray from his marriage vows and Kate was now crying over her husband's sixth affair. She reported that after each of the first five affairs, the same pattern ensued. First, she would throw him out and then he would go crying to her pastor telling how he had asked Jesus to forgive him. And each time the pastor urged that she forgive her husband and take him back. That's interesting, as he, because Kate recognized the importance of forgiving her husband. In forgiving him, she would relieve herself of bitterness, resentment, and pain, allowing herself to heal. But more importantly, she began to realize that the act of forgiving her husband did not change him, that her forgiveness did not make him trustworthy. And until he became trustworthy, she'd be foolish to allow him back into the home. Therefore, Kate forgave her husband, but she didn't let him return. Many people are living with long-term mood disturbances. When we begin to explore the underlying factors, we frequently discover long-standing resentment and an inability to forgive. They're unable to forgive because they've encountered a wide variety of myths related to forgiveness. The law of worship has significant ramifications for this issue. Remember that the law of worship states that we become like the object we worship or admire. People tend to forgive others the way they believe that God does. Not surprisingly then, most of the myths about forgiveness involve misconceptions about how God forgives. And so we're going to start going through those um, myths. Uh, There are several of them, but it's interesting that you, you know, that law of worship. So if you become an unforgiving person... You know, you are modeling the very thing that you th- think of and what you think of your modeling, I guess. So it's kind of like this circle mm-hmm. of of becoming mm-hmm. something that... Um, I heard, You know, I once heard one a person say, we're, as, you know, because I'm, with me, I'm a judging kind of guy. I, I, I'm, I judge everything. Oh, you're shaking your head? No? Yeah. <laughs> You know I am, right? I, I catch myself doing that. And I, I once heard someone say that, look, at there's either judgment and we all get judged or there's mercy and we all get mercy. Which group do you want to fit in and which group? You know what I'm saying? Well, we like to be in the in the group that judges, but, but, yet we but won't get, get the mercy. Get the mercy ourselves, <laughs> right, see? Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's easier to judge others and, and still want to have, you know, not not want to be judged by the standard by which we judge. And, uh, you know, Jesus talks about that, that that we are judged 
by the standard in which we judge others. And and I think it's because you become that, that person. You become that person. You 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 don't want to give mercy, and therefore you're an unmerciful you're, you're an, person. You're unmerciful, and you're un, and unable to accept it, unable right. to receive it. Right. Yeah. See, we we have to be able to to receive it. Well, I think, and I think that's the confusion sometimes is that we think that Jesus is like giving this um, mandate that you are going to be like this when in reality, it's our actions that call that to us. You know what I mean? It's by beholding, we become changed. And so when we be, when we become and we behold and we and you know the thing is is we flock to people who are like us mm-hmm. right and so we'll flock to people who like to gossip or we'll flock to people who like to be negative and Judgment. judging that's right and so then we become more and more like that so Jesus is just saying if you then this yeah you're going to fit into a group and you're going to choose it right he doesn't have to mandate right. He it he, right he doesn't have to push you one way or another no. we choose by our own actions you gravitate to that you know and he'll stand which the, we love and admire yeah we gravitate to that which we worship and admire we mm-hmm. love you know and then and the next thing you know we're saying lord lord and he'll say i never knew you right so these myths are really important because i think that um anybody who has been hurt um you know the the myths are really i think help to write things and can really help to write things in our mind as far as um you know between uh truth and fiction mm-hmm. so um the first myth is, do you want to read the first okay, myth? Okay, yeah. Forgiveness comes after the offending in- individual says they're sorry. True or false? Um, That's a myth. Right, because we've all heard that people declared, I'll be glad to forgive when he's sorry. And when, the pro- right? when he says he's sorry. When he says yeah. he's sorry. Yeah. And the problem with believing this myth is that it fails to recognize that our that forgiveness heals the offended party, not the offender. So offenders experience healing when they repent. When both forgiveness and repentance occurs, then so does reconciliation. I like that. So, so the offender is only ex- only experiences healing when he repents. Right. Not when the, you forgive somebody. You know, the offended when they forgive someone that, that that's They're for healed. the offended. Yes. Yeah. That's that's interesting. In Christian terms, reconciliation rather than forgiveness is necessary for salvation. A point sorely misunderstood by many well-meaning Christians who believe that forgiveness is all that's required. Hmm. It was the same thing in Kate's situation. But let's say that Rich comes home from doing something he shouldn't have done, and he's angry for some reason, and he suddenly curses me. And Why then are you he, using me? Well, because, you know, <laughs> you're right there. Okay. So. so I come home, I mean, and I'm could, blowing it. Yeah, you're— Okay. Well, I mean, sure. Okay. And then— um. You know, I'm innocent. Right. So I'm cursing you, right? And I don't know why. You don't know why. And so I decide how I'm going to respond because we all decide how we're going to respond. So I could choose to become really angry and seek revenge. I could go get a stick and chase him down and yell at him. And right there, um, I have to decide how I will react. Okay. So perhaps I choose to forgive him. Does my forgiveness restore our relationship? No. It doesn't restore it because no. I've forgiven him. If I go after him, not to punish him, to, but to find out why he did this and to seek to restore our relationship. But Rich sees me approaching, and perhaps he misinterprets my intentions, and he assumes that I'm angry, so he flees as fast as he can. You know, that's that's what happens with God, mm-hmm. you know? Um, 
we assume God's mad at us, uh-huh. right? And that he's going to punish us. And he's going to come to punish us. Mm-hmm. You remember the Garden of Eden? What happened? Adam, where are you? Who told you? You're not getting that from me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so we, we've done the same thing. Someone comes comes to uh, restore, try to try to restore. We, we, we mind read, if you will. See, that we chose to repel against God, but he never for one instant became angry. Instead, he forgave immediately, but his forgiveness didn't restore our relationship with him because we misjudged him and fled from him. And we've been running ever since, haven't we? Right. And so it's the same thing if, if, um, if you did decide to repent and you wanted to make amends for your mistreatment of me, but then I refused to forgive you, will our relationship be able to resume? No. No, because it takes both forgiveness and repentance for reconciliation. So there's always two sides mm-hmm. that need to happen in order for that unit to come back together, whether it's in a, in a, you know, a husband and wife relationship or friendships. You know, everybody plays their part mm-hmm. in the relationship. And I always look at it this way. If we're waiting for someone to say they're sorry before we forgive— if you will, then our forgiveness is beholden upon them. Mm-hmm. So they still have power. They over still you. have power right. over us. But the thing is, is you know, I have I've been through, um, you know, my own um, through my own past where um, I had things out of my control happen to me, and I had a lot of resentments for many many years and. Um, it's difficult sometimes to forgive people for the things that they've done that were completely out of our control. Did anybody ever say they were sorry? No, nobody's ever said. So, so you would still be waiting. Right. And still be drinking the poison. Right, you're still waiting to, you know, to have things restored back. And then the reality is, is that things can never be restored to the way that you think that they should be. They're never going to be. But they can be restored to an even better state, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think as we're able to forgive and let our resentments go, then we're able to grow. Yeah, because if what somebody did to you was sick, mm-hmm. now you have a sick person that you're waiting that that you're waiting for them to say they're sorry before you can forgive them. Uh, now you've just let a sick person into your mind and, and control and you. control your mind, right? And uh, so that's why Jesus just says, you know, you forgive your enemies, man. Pray for them that hurt you. Right. Pray for them that use you. It's right. the only way to get healthy, right? You know, and it's hard to do because because th- those resentments serve a purpose for us. Mm-hmm. They allow us to 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 they 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 uh, pump our ego up a little bit, allow us to behave in manners maybe that we shouldn't. You know, unfortunately, many people regard God as unforgiving, you know, or that He demands some payment or sacrifice in order for Him to forgive. But that's not true. In fact, it's God's forgiveness which comes first that leads us to repentance. Remember, Apostle Paul declares God's kindness leads you towards repentance, Romans 2, 4. You know, and that's the thing is when we look to God and see his behavior and how he He speaks in his actions towards us as human beings, that's, that's the good news. So God's taken the incentive to come after us to bring us back into friendship with him. So many times we misinterpret his actions, much like a child can misunderstand when a parent gives him or her vaccines or 
or something like that. But so that's why God sent his son to be one with us, to demonstrate the kind of person the father is so that by revealing his character, Jesus um, said that, that he leads us to repentance and subsequently to reconciliation. Wins us back. Yes. Yeah. So unfortunately, many well-meaning people are confused about this and believe God doesn't forgive until we plead for his forgiveness. This can cause us to deal with our friends in a similar manner, refusing to forgive until someone asks. And this is the common misunderstanding that God that, uh, about God that constitutes myth number two about forgiveness, which we're going to get into a se- in a second. But um, pleading pleading for the give- forgiveness changes the one who's pleading. God's not sick. Yeah, God doesn't need to change. God, God doesn't need to change. <laughs> no. God's not lost. No. He doesn't need to be found. He's right. not running. Right. We don't he's need, perfect. He's perfect. You will see, you know, it's just like a, a parent that hides from a three-year-old kid. They hide right in plain sight. hmm You know, he's not lost. He's not hiding. He's right. in right in plain sight. And we'll find him if we seek with, with him for, with all of our heart, which means we got to get the clutter out of the way in order to get close to him. Right, because and, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah. Right? He's not sick. He doesn't need to be healed. He's not, we don't need to convince him of anything. Right. He's forgiveness personified. He's trying to convince us that what that our actions are in the consequ are the it's the consequences that are making us sick and our actions that are making us sick. Right, and that brings us to to the myth number two that forgiveness equals salvation, and this this is not true either because salvation requires not only forgiveness, but repentance on the part of the sinner. When Christ hung on the cross, what did he say to his Father about those who put him there? Forgive them. Because they don't know what they do. Did his persecutors ask for forgiveness? No. No. But God forgave them anyway. Although they didn't request to be forgiven, the one who has the power in heaven and earth to do so did so. Right. So while they were forgiven, were they saved? Did Christ's actions of forgiveness change his persecutors' hearts? Were they now friends of God? Or were they still his enemies, still mocking him, still crucifying him? They remained his enemies because they didn't open their hearts to receive the forgiveness that God so freely offered. Had they opened their hearts to God's forgiveness, it would have led them to repent and they would have had a change of heart. Then reconciliation could have Exactly, could have exactly. See, that, and that's so interesting. And now I want you to think about this. What kind of a God will, would allow his creation to jam a crown of thorns into his head hang him on a cross, allow them to spit on him, mock him, and not retaliate, but say, I forgive you. Right. What kind of a God do we serve that says, pray for your enemies? What kind of a God washes his betrayer's feet? What kind of a God does not condemn a hooker thrown down at his feet in, in, in church mm-hmm. in front of all the pastors? What kind of a God chases after Adam in the garden and says, I'm not condemning you. Mm-hmm. Who told you you were naked? See, this is the kind of God that's revealed in Christ. This is the kind of God we serve. But we've manufactured a, an unforgiving God. We've manufactured a judgmental God, a God with a clipboard that chases us around, looking for us to make the, the next mistake so he can write it down and nail us. And this is not God. If you look at how Jesus treated people, what he did at the closing scenes of his life, when he's hanging there, and and the devil is throwing everything at him, and they're all saying, God put him there. Isaiah 54, 
53 verse 4, you esteemed him smitten of God. You thought he was smitten of God, Mm -hmm. but he wasn't. You were wrong. You put him there. The devil put him there. And the devil threw everything at him. And the last temptation was come down off that cross and save yourself. And God wouldn't do it. He proved that he's unselfish, that his government runs based on love, and you can't change that. And he would die to prove it. And he allows his, his creation to nail him to the cross, the most religious people on the planet. It's totally amazing. It's baffling. So we've turned God from this, this God that would do anything not to retaliate into a retaliatory God. Mm-hmm. And so this is why we run from him. Right. He's not that way. Mm-hmm. He never has been that way. You know? It's it's the whole thing, the Bible, God's with man, and in the end God is with man and God and people are running from God. Yeah, all through the all yeah. through the Bible. That's you it. can give us a call, folks, six nine one six six four five one two nine seven. And remember, folks, there's only two ways to live your life. One is like nothing is a miracle, the other's like everything is a miracle, and you have the freedom. To choose. Do I love my neighbor? Do I love them? Can I feel his pain and his Thank you for listening to Freedom to Choose. There truly is hope for people whose lives might be overrun with hard decisions, possibly caught up in unhealthy relationships, or even imprisoned by some form of addiction. Rich and Susan are living testimonials that biblical principles do work, and they've put together a workbook with Dr. Timothy Jennings to move yourself or those you love towards freedom. If you would like to order this new workbook called Could It Be This Simple? The Way Out of Your Prison, please call 916-645-1297 or justasiamministries.com. As a nonprofit, they are supported by people like you. 916-645-1297 or justasiamministries.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you.